to the point podcast everybody's doing well as we reach another thursday here um thank you guys all for following along uh you can catch us uh you know give us us a like follow uh leave us a review itunes uh we really appreciate those um help boost the uh the platform on apple um spotify wherever you get your podcasts and just overall support i can't thank you guys enough with all of that um just not an announcement per se but uh, in the next month or so um to me a little change here into the point um working on a couple things i um hope to be able to i'm gonna be bringing a new some new material to all of you uh it's going to be you know it's still going to be a lot of me so if you're hoping for less of me that's uh that's not on the docket, but it's going to be uh, scheduled. It's going to be Monday to Friday. And I'm not going to give away too much right now, but um, by March 1st, I'm really hoping that this will be set up. This will be ready to go. And yeah, uh, it, it's exciting. I, uh, I'll give you more details as they're available. But by March 1st, I, uh, I got some things in the works and I think it's going to be really good for the podcast. And I think it's going to be an exciting um, step up and, and into the future for, for the future of the podcast here. So um, look forward to that. And I'll give you guys more details as I get them and as I get more prepared to, to give you those details. So um, yeah, stay on the, on the uh, lookout for that. But that's that's what's on the horizon with me. Now, when it comes to present day sports, lots happening. And you know, we're a few days away from the NFL championship, uh, championship Sunday, NFC and AFC championship games, which I'll get into tonight with uh, Ben Murray on a podcast this evening. We'll talk about everything to get you primed for those games, including some some notes from around the football world, including big Ben Roethlisberger retiring a few coaches uh, being hired across the league and a coach staying put in Dallas, but lots happening. Like I just said, but something we forget, you know, almost two years into a pandemic is how much life has changed in Canada. It was just, commonplace to have full full buildings you know you go to a hockey game you can barely move you got people sitting on your wrap on your lap practically people drinking three to four beer a night and although it's been a very long two years you kind of forget that two years has gone by I was reminded of that yesterday when I realized it was the two-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death you forget how quickly life goes by and watching sports night in and night out, you, you forget what, what's happening around us and what, what, what the surroundings are. And what I'm getting to here is you forget just how little juice a hockey game can have. And what I'm talking about is what's happening in Canada right now. And particularly last night in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, because Although I listen to 95% of the sports I watch on mute, I tuned into the game last night and I threw on Chris Cuthbert and Craig Simpson because generally they're pretty objective. And I'm watching and quickly I'm fading because, and this is not the fault of the players all in all, but you forget, you know, with Toronto playing so many road games over the past three to four weeks that there's no fans in the building that there's no juice. There's no, there's no, yep. You can't manufacture excitement. You can't manufacture crowd noise. It doesn't work. And you know, the excitement of the playoff bubble where I thought we saw some pretty good hockey has since drifted. It's since it's hence gone away. And I look at what, you know, what we had to tune into last night, you know, live on Sportsnet. And it was a dud of a hockey game. It was really hard to watch for me. I Anaheim was out to lunch 
they're lucky to come up with a point. But that was not my biggest takeaway from the game. My takeaway is, you know, whether we agree with how, if there should be fans or not, you know, I think there should be a full barn. That's just my opinion. But I think we do have to give athletes a break. And I don't think it helps that you're watching a skilled team playing in an empty barn. And for that matter, both teams last night are very young, very skilled based. They're not big, heavy teams like a St. Louis, like a Minnesota, where the game would be more exciting. But you're looking at last night's game. you got skilled players galore, and there's no checks. There's nothing to change. Moment. There's nothing. And it was just a game that's very forgettable. It's a game where you say, well, that was two and a half hours. I don't know if it was well spent, but two and a half hours are gone with your life. You can go to bed. It's Thursday. And that's not how you want to consume sports. I mean, if you compare it to Sunday with the ASC championship game, full, you know, going to be a full barn in Arrowhead. You're going to see Joe Burrow. You're going to see Patrick Mahomes. Or last Sunday where we saw a packed Arrowhead stadium, but with one of the craziest games in pro sports history. It's not fair to the hockey players. It's not fair to Canadians. But that's the hand you're dealt. And unfortunately, I think the one thing we know what's happening. Next Monday, they're going to bring 500 people into the Air Canada Centre or Scotiabank, whatever they call it now. And that's not going to do anything. 500 people, you might as well keep it empty because that's pointless. And also, it's going to cost the Maple Leafs more money to bring in 500 people because you have to have come pe people clean it. You can't buy a drink. Nevertheless, not a great business strategy. Three weeks from Monday, then it's 50%. So it's just this never-ending spiral. Hopefully by the playoffs, Canadian teams can have full capacities in their buildings. And for the COVID people, I get it. And maybe I'm not the most safety, you know, I'm not pro safety. I'll fully admit that I've done stupid shit. I don't always wear a seatbelt, yada, yada, yada. But all we can do is, is play the hand that you're dealt. And what I'm, what I'm coming to when I was thinking last night is I really don't want to watch any more of these games with, with no, nobody in it. I don't find Toronto the most, the most entertaining team to watch. And I, I'm probably at the lower scale my opinions, probably not well taken uh, because I know they're skill based or the modern team. I get it. Austin Matthews, a great player, Mitch Marner, Bill Nylander. I get it. But I like heavier teams. I like to see a mix of both where, you know, 95% of Toronto games, you're not going to see a check. So that doesn't help. But what, what is the conclusion here? And the conclusion for me is Toronto knows every home game, there's going to be no crowd or 500 people, which is like we just pointed out, no crowd. So what this team needs to do is use it to their advantage. And teams are going to be coming to Toronto, you know, playing in front of packed barns, unless you're Arizona, you're playing, you know, if you're in Colorado, they got a good fan base right now. You got at least half a barn filled, you'd say, at least at, at, at a median. You have half a building full of people. It's loud. It's not the library that is Toronto. So what you need to do if you're Toronto is we know what it's like. We know what games are like with nobody in the stands. Teams are coming in here. It's like coming off a four game road trip and returning home. You're tired. You're, you're, you need to get better suited back to your time zone. Well, teams are flying in and they're walking into a library, walking into a cemetery. And Toronto needs to use this as, as an advantage. They know what it's like to play in no in front of nobody. And they're going to be doing it a lot more lately because the NHL pushed back hockey games thinking, okay, Canada will finally loosen up their tight asses and let some people in the buildings so we can make some money. But they're not because you know what? COVID's never ending here in Canada and we got to keep our restrictions 
extremely tight because why not? But Gary Bedman, I'm sure is like, are you kidding me? I pushed this back a month. So this wouldn't happen. It's happening anyway. I'm losing money when these teams play. Nevertheless, Toronto needs to find a way to use this. Find a way to say, we know how quiet it is, but they don't. They're good. That first period last night, how bad did Anaheim look? I mean, they didn't play good the whole game. Don't get me wrong. They're, they shouldn't have got a point. Toronto gifted them one because of breakdowns defensively, which is a common theme for them lately. But they got the two points. At the end of the day, it was an ugly win, but you got the win. Check. One of 82. You move on for a team like Toronto. But you, you've just experienced – they haven't played at home in a while, but you've just experienced it. They're going to Detroit, but you play New Jersey next week. Okay, they play in front of basically no one, so it might not be that a big of an advantage against them. But you're going to play teams down the stretch here that are used to crowds, that are used to hearing people post-All-Star break. Toronto plays Carolina. Carolina's got a good crowd. I, contrary to what people say, okay, small market Carolina, they're passionate about their team there, and also they win every other night. So that doesn't hurt attendance. Carolina at home. They're going to walk in, not used to that environment. Then Toronto heads out to Calgary. Well, that's a half crowd. So you're heading out west for a few games. But when you get home, can you find and use it to your advantage? That's what I see. Penguins. Penguins got a good crowd. They're really nigh playing great hockey right now. Blues. St. Louis. Passionate hockey market. Toronto just played there. Great crowd that night. There won't be anybody in the building. So I'm just saying... If you can, which I think it's something they need to do, is use this to their advantage. Find a way to, it's not fuel, but I do think it's an edge that they can have. And it's different from, say, Montreal or Ottawa, because Montreal is a tire fire. They're in a full rebuild. They stink. So it doesn't matter. They're going to lose every game down the stretch here. Ottawa, again, they're out of it. They're playing Carolina tonight at home. I don't expect them to do much, especially now with Drake Batherson being out. But could Toronto find a way to, to use this as fuel? I think it's something they really, they need to find a way to do it because I think it can be a huge advantage to them and help them down the stretch because they're not, they don't need that much help getting two points because they're a very good hockey team. But if any way you can find an edge, you take it. And I think Toronto needs to try to search for that down the line. Now, despite last night's game being a snore fest, I, um, you know, we did see some changes from the Maple Leafs. You see uh, Matthews playing with bunting, uh, obviously uh, Marner's off his line. You saw uh, Mikheyev and, and John Tavares and Marner, Kerfoot, Bill Nylander uh, on the same line together, Spezza, Simmons, Engvall. So Sheldon Keefe took out the blender. And Obviously, the game was what it was last night, but my big takeaway is Toronto played well. Anaheim played horrible, so that was tough, but I look at the new line combinations, and I really wasn't that impressed. And the one line that played well last night was John Tavares, Mitch Marner, and Ilya Mikheyev, in my opinion. I thought Matthews, Bunting, and Kasha were very underwhelming. I didn't think Matthews had one of his better games of the season. Nylander, Kerfoot, that line was, again, you're asking Kerfoot to, to play a, a, a pivotal role, which, which I hate him playing in the center position. But um, I think this shakeup by Sheldon Keefe was necessary for John Tavares. So I give him credit for doing this because – if, if Matthews needs Marner to be on his line to be successful, then Toronto's got a bigger problem, which I don't think they do. I'm just saying if, if he needs Marner every game, then this team's in big trouble because if Matthews should be able to carry his own line. It's just, it's your time, go do it. And I think he will. And I think he'll play better. And he's been scoring. He's got 18 goals in his last 19 games, albeit with Marner on his line most nights. But in their last 
10 or so games where they've been, you know, win one, lose two, blow big leads. We've seen Matthews light it up, Marner, Nylander has stated at his point per game pace. But Tavares has been just nowhere. He looks like he's skating in quicksand. He's not around the puck. He's not going into, he's just, he's not, you don't notice him. Sometimes Taurus doesn't get points certain nights, but you notice him because he'll go into the corner. He'll do the dirty work. And I give him credit for that because I don't see that enough from 34, but Tavares will do that. But even lately he did have COVID, but I'm not using that as an excuse to why you play like crap, but he didn't have any life. His skating was just, he was out there just to be out there. He's killing time so he can go home and be with the wife and kids. And I, I think he needed some, a spark. Tavares is, you know, him and Bill played well together, but Nylander is a scorer. And I think Tavares at his core is more of a, a scoring threat than he is a playmaker. In New York, he was a playmaker. That was his primary, you know, he would score 30 to 40 goals, but it was more about setting people up. It was finding Anders Lee, it was finding Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, his cascade of line mates. But here, you know, he scored 47 his first year in Toronto. And the numbers have, have gone down year over year. But he, he's a goal scorer. He, gets to, he doesn't score many nice goals. He gets to the dirty areas and he, and he pots them home. But they all count. And playing with Nylander, Nylander's a shoot-first player. He's not, okay, where well, I'm looking to get John his. This isn't, you know, basketball where you have Chris Paul, the, the perfect point guard, that his primary goal is to assist the basketball, find, give guys their open looks. He's not Chris Paul. He's not Steve Nash. Phil Nylander is, I'm going to go shoot the puck and hopefully score because Nylander's got a better shot and he's a better goal scorer at this point of his career than John Tavares is. But, you know, Tavares was hurt in game one of the playoffs last year and Matthews and Marner were complete no-shows. They were from games five, really for me, four to seven, I didn't know they dressed. And if that happens again, which obviously Leafs fans are hoping that it won't, but if it does, you need Tavares to to bring you something. Bill had a great series, Bill Nylander. McKayev, Kerfoot, Kerfoot had a good series, which was surprising. But your, your fourth line, I mean, Engvall, they're not going to do much. You need Tavares to be an equal contributor or right below that. You need two lines to be really productive. And I see Keith. You know, I'm sure his rationale was, well, Nylander, I'm putting you on the third line, but, you know, we want you to carry your own line. We feel you can do that now. I don't love that. Uh, I, I think it's – I liked their third line before because it was a checking line. The third line of Tampa had Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, and Yanni Gord. No, those three guys are not natural goal scorers. They're hard workers. They're defenders. They turned – good defense into offense. I like a third line to be my, my stopper, to play the opposing team's top line. If you contribute, great. And the great ones will, vis-a-vis Tampa. But if, if you only get a few goals a series, but you limit the top guys, you did your job. I'll take that. You know, I, I, th- that's a win for me because I'm stopping the opposing top players I'm saying, okay, we're, we're not going to let you beat us. Can your depth beat us? Because if your depth beats us, you know what? You're just better. But we stopped the top dogs from doing it. And if this is – they're going to change the lines a million times before the playoffs. But I don't think this is going to stick because I'd want a line that I trust defensively to make the right plays, to, to be in the right position. And Nylander's a great scorer. He's a good offensive threat. When it comes to defending or playing against the opposing team's top line every night, I don't want that. Because guess what? He's not going to score if he's doing that. If in the first, I say Toronto wins the Atlantic and they play Pittsburgh, just, just play, play it out with me. They play Pittsburgh in the first round. If it's Kerfoot and uh, Bill and oh, I don't know who they're going to throw on that line with them, but let me just say, let me go through the roster because I, I don't love their options, uh, but Camp, 
who I like defensively. But again, let's say that's the line, which was last night. I, I'm, I'm fine with camp. Kerfoot, I'm okay with, as long as he's not playing center. I need to make that point a million times. But I don't like Bill. If it's against Crosby, Gensel, and Brian Russ, I don't like that matchup. Because who is, who is Nylander going to cover? Rust or Gensel? And Crosby's going to have the puck, and he's going to have to play that guy, man. You have to stick with your man. You have to play in the, in the defensive zone. You need to defend. And I don't want Nylander in that position. Pittsburgh, I'm loving it. I'm like, is that Nylander out there? Because I'd much rather have a Nylander out there than a Mikheyev or even an Andre Kasha who I think is a top six player on this team, the way he's played this season. But he could play that third line role and be the Blake Coleman of that line. Because of those three, uh, Gord, uh, Barkley Goodrow, Blake Coleman had the most offensive upside. He had been a 25-goal scorer in New Jersey multiple times. But again, uh, I don't think this iteration is going to work. I don't think any of the lines look that dangerous. Um, it was good to see uh, they scored three power play goals, which their power plays clicking this season. It's still puzzling to me how it was so terrible last year with the amount of talent they have, but they get the win. Matthews gets the gimmick winner. Um, but you know, Anaheim, again, they, they didn't play good last night, but you know, a guy who's having a great season, I thought he played well last night in particular in the defensive zone. And that would be Troy Terry. You know, Terry's got 23 goals, which is already a career high. Played multiple years down in the AHL. You know, started off with Dallas Aikens as his uh, head coach down there, and then he got promoted uh, when they when they made a coaching change. And Terry, he's got a great shot. I think he's got really good offensive instincts. But I watched the game last night, and um, you know, Anaheim's out to lunch. They're making bad decisions. But Troy Terry, what really impressed me about him is his stick. And what I mean by that is he always had his stick in the right position. Multiple times last night, he took away passes, cross-ice passes. He saved, I think he, he stopped the goal for sure, and he earned that team a point where I, think, I believe it was Kerfoot. He had he tried to go cross-ice to Bill Nylander. He would have one time that. I think it would have gone by Gibson. But he got his stick in the lane. He made the right play. And, you know, multiple times because they didn't have the puck much. I saw Troy Terry just in the right position, making the smart play and sometimes just making the easy play. And that is, that is the smart play, uh, you know, um, going along the line here because he would just be in a position to make the right play. And that's half the battle. Don't overthink it. I think he's a guy that has very strong hockey sense, but at the same time says, you know what? I can score, but we're playing like garbage tonight. We're chasing the game. We're on an East Coast trip. And if we could lock down, maybe we can get a point. And he took his foot off the gas offensively and said, I need to make some smart decisions here. And, you know, not only that, but the third line gets two goals and the fourth line gets one for Anaheim. Their top lines weren't that engaged. You know, Trevor Zegers was – a no-show last night, but Troy Terry was very good. John Gibson had a hell of a game. And we look at the Pacific division, Vegas, first place with 53 points. Anaheim is in second currently with 50 points. However, they played 45 games, which leads the national hockey league followed by Los Angeles. They have 48 points. And then we get to Calgary. And Calgary is on a tear. And I don't like to admit when I'm wrong, but I think I might've been with Calgary. And, you know, I've been one that's, you know, I don't like to you know, fire people, but when people, when, when there's people doing a job and they're not doing it well, I point it out. And in my opinion, Brad Tree Leaving has not been a great GM and he's been, Hired in Calgary for a very long time, being able to go through three or four different head coaches now. Yeah, with um, you know, Bill Peters and uh, 
man before him, uh, his name's eluding me, coaches the Latvian national team. And then obviously going to uh, Daryl Sutter and going through all, you know, it's been a, a long road for, for Brad Tree Living and keeping Johnny Goodrow, keeping Sean Monahan, you know, uh, not adding def- defensemen, making Rasmus Anderson be your number one D last year when it was really his first full season in the NHL. There's a lot of stuff. That I, and he, something that I criticized um, Tom Fitzgerald in, in, in a, a, sorry, not Tom, he's in New Jersey, but in Philadelphia is I look at their scenario and they never added to their top end players. Claude Giroux is a, is a great player, but is he good enough to win a Stanley cup as your best player? Clearly not. They've lost 13 in a row, two 10 plus game losing streaks in, in a 40 game span. They kept Jakub Voracek forever. Sean Couturier, uh, you know, the back end, which was the same for years, keeping Andrew McDonald, all these guys, Cam Atkinson, a bit piece for a bit piece. And they and now they're falling off the planet. Well, Goudreau, my favorite player, Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monahan. I mean, everybody on Calgary had a poor season last year, including the goaltender Jacob Markstrom. But you look at this season and the turnaround Calgary's had, it truly is impressive. Jacob Markstrom has been phenomenal for Calgary. He's been the pulse of their team. He's been the guy that's really settled in. You look at Markstrom, he's got 15 wins, nine losses, 926 save percentage, but six shutouts in those starts. 29 games this year, six shutouts to lead the National Hockey League. Pretty darn good. And we keep going. Johnny Goodrow, nobody's ever questioned his talent. I have questioned his desire. I have questioned his hockey sense when it comes to winning games, but 38 games played this season, 51 points. Having a great, great season, 35 assists. We keep going down the line. His line mate, Elias Lindholm, whom I love, he's got 33 points in 38 games. Not Goodrow level, but he's a number one center. He doesn't do it like everybody else. He reminds me a lot of Chandler Stevenson. But, you know, he, he's a smart, smart hockey player. He makes really good decisions. And some people might say he's having a down year. I disagree because I think he's, he makes smart. He, he makes the decision. He gets the puck out of the zone so that others don't have to make that play. He go to Andrew Majinapani, who doesn't get assists. He only got four on the season, but he's got 19 goals already which is already a career high. And then we get to Matthew Kachuk, who's got 44 points in 38 games. He had 43 points all of last season in 56 games. A down year, no doubt about it. But he has found it. He's got, he got to his 20th goal of the season last night. He's playing... He's focusing less on pissing people off and just being a productive offensive player. He can't be stopped out there. Him, Goudreau, and and Lindholm are fantastic. And for the dinosaurs, Matthew Kachuk is a plus 24. That would win some awards. Elias Lindholm, plus 27. And Johnny Goudreau, a plus 28 on the season. For all the dinosaurs out there that like love that stat. But there's a couple things that are just true in the, in the NHL and in pro sports in general. You get great offensive production from your top players and you get elite goaltending from your netminder. You're going to be in a lot of games and you're going to win a lot of games. Kachuk, Goodrow, Lindholm, Markstrom, play good most nights. Calgary went through COVID. Their entire team had it, minus Matthew Kachuk. And luckily for them, it was during the Christmas break, so they didn't miss a whole lot of man games. 
They avoided it. Yes, their team got it, but they didn't miss guys in the lineup. And it's just, it's been a tear. You know, they come back, they beat St. Louis Monday night, 7-1, just a drubbing. Then they go into Columbus. They win last night, 6-0. You know, you get Kachuk, goal and assist. Goudreau had three assists. Eric Goodbranson contributed with a goal, who's turned out to be a really good signing after Ottawa decided not to bring him back. But Calgary's a good story. And you look at the Pacific, it's a weak division. Calgary's got 46 points in 38 games. They are only four points back of Anaheim, and they have seven games in hand. They're likely going to catch Vegas. Vegas is has Calgary is five games in hand. Calgary's tied in the standings with San Jose, five games in hand. Edmonton is a team that has to hope that they can do the same. Edmonton has won two in a row. They beat Calgary, then they beat Vancouver. They host Nashville tonight. Nashville's a strong team. They've had another great season. They sit second in the Pacific Division behind Colorado, who's now starting to run away with this very highly contested division with 63 points. But teams that are have games in hand and are in a position like this need to look at the schedule and say, we need to do this. Edmonton is in such a better position than a Winnipeg because they have to play central teams more often than not. They have a tougher, tougher stretch. But it'll be interesting down the stretch to see what happens here. Calgary's got St. Louis again tonight. I'm sure St. Louis is pissed off after being embarrassed Monday night. Can Will they rebound? But Calgary has been a team that just, they've, they've proven people wrong. They must care for that coach and that GM because Brad Tree Living has got nine lives. I don't think he's earned all the rope he's gotten in Calgary, but he's got it. And that's all that really matters is that his team looks at him and says, we're playing really well. You didn't change much this core, but we're winning now. And maybe it's the COVID year and you got rid of some of that and, and it's the negativity has gone. And I don't know, but this team has a different feel to it. But, you know, we'll wait and see here. And there's also the, the Vander Kane of it all. I've heard he's going to Edmonton. What if he goes to Calgary? I think it'd be interesting. I think it would be really interesting. You know? I think it'd be a better deal. However, as I'm saying this, Jason Greger and Darren Greger says Evander Kane, number 91. Deal is so close, a number has been decided. Darren Greger, I believe a number has been offered. However, there's no signed contract that the all involved are waiting for NHL documents. So it sounds like it sounds like uh, Evander Kane is going to be an Edmonton Oiler. And do I think they could use Evander Kane? Yeah, we've, we've talked about this. Great hockey player. Love the way he plays. Hate his character. And this Edmonton team is just coming out of a stupor. Just coming out of a bottomless pit. And really, it's are you going to get a motivated guy? Are you going to get a team first guy? Are you going to get the guy who's been his whole career? And the gamble is, are you going to get a new person? Or are you going to get somebody at the core of who they are? People can change. But do people change when they don't have to? I look at a situation like him. Did, did Antonio Brown change? No, because he didn't have to. Because people signed him despite his negative, despite his terrible activity, he didn't have to change. I saw a story today. Jake Vertanen charged with sexual assault. He's playing in Russia. 
He's going to be, I believe, bought into custody back. In, he's going to have to come back to Canada. Terrible story for the woman involved. I hope she's okay. hope she's doing better. But Jake Vertanen was known for these type of actions before. You hope for better, but people go back to who they are is normally what happens. People do change. But when you give people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, they don't have to because you are cowering to their behavior. If you're around an addict and you give them a bottle of booze, that's an it's enabling. That's what these organizations do. They enable bad behavior because you see how this person has acted elsewhere and you say, well, he's going to change, but you know, what? I'll throw some money at him. We'll bring him in and say, just be you. We just want you to be you here. Just be yourself. Be happy. Don't forget, forget the bad things that happened in, in Buffalo, in Winnipeg, in San Jose. Forget all that. Well, was it bad things around this player in these different locations? Or was it the player being providing a negative atmosphere in that locale? Two can be true, but when it happens at more than one location and you're buying that it's the team and not the player, you're just as bad as the organization. You're buying in to this force, this pound of shit that he's trying to sell you. Now, don't get me wrong. If I ran a team, it would be hard to pass up a Vander Kane. I'm going to say hard because he is a phenomenal talent. He's a unicorn of sorts because there's so few players that have all the tools that he has. Is he Connor McDavid? No. Is he Matthews? No. But there's so few guys that are power forwards in the game that when you see one out, you know, you're staring into the distance, you want to grab onto him and say, come home, please come home with me. It's like the hot chick at the bar. You know, she doesn't love you, but you want to have a little fun. You see a Vander Kane. Oh my God. If he only was a good person, if he only act well, we could win a cup. The last three teams thought that too. And guess what? Now he's in Canada. All that being said, I wish him well. I wish the Oilers well. I really hope it works. I hope he can turn it around. Because as much as I don't root for anybody, I root for content. So in a way, I'm kind of rooting for it to be a disaster because that would be great for the podcast. But I also, great content is... If the Edmonton Oilers are booming, that's fun. Watch the games. Talk about that's content too. It's just about providing the best content. That's what I root for. I could give a shit who wins any game. I don't care if Calgary wins. I don't have an axe to grind with Brad Tree Living, but do I think he's been pretty awful at his job? Yeah. And I'm going to say it. Has Evander Kane been a really shitty human being? In my opinion, yeah. Am I happy that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens did it into the Baseball Hall of Fame the other day? Yeah. Is that good? Does it give me some sense of happiness and comfort that people are fake outraged on Twitter and analysts and writers of the game are so mad and so upset? That their beloved Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens didn't get, get into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Because those voters hold my principles, hold my standards. And I got what I wanted. So it's interesting. It's content. I'm interested to see what Edmonton does. I'm interested to see how Connor McDavid handles it. Because if you haven't watched Edmonton lately, and I get it, the games start late, he hasn't been playing well. Oof. Last four or five games, Connor McDavid has looked completely out of sorts. Like a completely different player. I think the negativity and 
the line mates and the questions and the losing got to them. Now they started to climb out of it. You got the overtime winner the other night. That's a step in the right direction. Dry set out a four point game. That's a step in the right direction. But you still have the same goalie. You still have a weak defensive core. You know, Vancouver climbed out of that pit for a while. We're starting to see them come back to earth. It might not be fair to judge yet because Thatcher Demko's on the COVID list, but he's not going to have a 950 save percentage the whole year. Eventually, you resort back to the mean, even if you're an elite goaltender like Thatcher. And you say, well, we still got Travis Hamannick and Tyler Myers and Luke Shen on the back end. That's probably not a great solution and probably not a great thing to have on your team. You know, we've probably still a really weak bottom six. And we can't ask JT Miller to be our unsung hero every game. Eventually, if you're average, if you're not a playoff team, you'll show it on the ice. Do I think Vancouver's going to make the playoffs this season? I don't. Do I think the Edmonton Oilers are? <sighs> I don't think so. I really don't. I guess they're in a weak division. That helps. What they need to hope is that LA doesn't catch fire. Because I think Los Angeles is the sleeping giant of this division. They're young, but they got they got the pillars of guys that have won before. Drew Doughty's playing game a thousand tonight in NHL. Quite the accomplishment. They'll do it in Los Angeles. Calvin Peterson is a pretty good goalie when he wants to be. He's been out to lunch lately, but he's a pretty good goalie. You know, like I just said, they got Drew Doughty. Alex Adler on the back end. He's not what he used to be, but he's a pretty good player. And you go through this team, you say, well, you know, they, they look pretty good. And they are. They're young. Kopitar, Kempe is a good player. Outside of follow, I like a lot. Mikey Anderson, the back, Victor Arvidsson has been pretty good this season for them. Philip Deneau has to be better for this team. But could they find it? I think they could because they, they have the ingredients to get it done. They have the players to win. In my humble opinion. But Edmonton, yeah. They're better than San Jose. They're as good or better than Vancouver. I think they're very close with Los Angeles. I believe they're better than Calgary. I'm sorry, they're not as good as Calgary, but it's weak. It's not a loaded division. And we'll see, but it'll be interesting down the stretch to find out who is elite in this division and who's not. Because Who knows where this goes? We're at the halfway point. A lot of things are going to change. We're two months away from the trade deadline. Normally, it's a month from now. It's a different season. No fans in Canada. Will that play a difference? Will different things come to, into, into play here? Still a lot to be decided. But it'll be interesting, nonetheless, and hopefully some some good content you know other nhl news that really is interesting to me is the goal scoring race and being at the halfway point you know it's interesting to bring up because you look at the nhl right now you know stats aren't everything but they're important <clears throat> leon Dreisaitl leads the nhl in points with 59 followed by alex ovechkin and john huberto with 58 mcdavid 57 Fifth is Nazem Kadri. And, you know, we'll talk, I'll talk about him in a minute. When it comes to goals, you have Chris Kreider is first with 30. 
you know, incredible season for Chris, uh, great American fast player. Um, and what's really impressive about his game is he, he's kind of, he'll, he's gritty. He'll go to the middle of the ice. He gets dirty goals in front, but he's not a big assist guy. You know, he just, he gets, he gets a lot of goals. He finds ways to score. And, you know, he's, I think he should be the captain of the Rangers, in my humble opinion. I think he's the leader of that team. He's a guy that the boys seem to really gravitate to. Panarin said he didn't want it because of, you know, the language barrier. We look at the Rangers with Adam Fox. He's key. You got Kreider. Um, Lindgren is a guy I really like. Panarin, Strom, uh, Zabinijad. But, you know, Kreider... He's got 30 goals and 13 assists. He's got 43 points and 43 games. He's a point per game this season. Great season for him. And you know, he's 30 years old, but he, you know, he's got th- already a career high in goals. So a great start to him. Right behind him, we have – find it here. Goals. Ovechkin with 29, Drysaddle with 29. Ovi's still scoring at a great pace. Dreisaitl, I believe, has a good chance. Then you have Alex DeBrinkat, who's always quietly at the top of this list. He's got 36 points in 43 games in the Chicago team. That's very disappointing. Going to miss the playoffs, but he's still such a great goal scorer. He had 32 and 52 last year, so he's going he's gonna to break that. His career high is 41, which he got in 2018-19. I believe he'll go past that this year. 76 points was his high then. I think he'll get close to that total. Austin Matthews is next with 25. Kyle Connor, Troy Terry. So you have some names that you don't usually see. Jake Gensel is on that with 21. Matthew Shane, quiet 20 goals. Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, quietly have 20. Pasternak uh, got another goal last night uh, in a loss for, for Boston. He's, you know, he's nine back of... Um, of Kreider, but he's scoring at a a high, high pace right now. But, you know, just kudos to Chris Kreider because he's not a brand name, so to speak. He's not a guy you think of, but he's having a fantastic season. Obviously Ovechkin and the Caps are stumbling right now. They're really, they're not playing good hockey. Uh, You know, they, they're losing every other game right now in Washington. And you look at the Metro, you have Florida, Tampa, Toronto. I uh, sorry, the Met. I was the Atlantic. Sorry, the Metro. You have New York, followed by Pittsburgh. Carolina's third, two points back of both, but they have multiple games in hand on those teams. Washington, fifty-five points. They are four behind um, Pittsburgh, five behind New York, and they played more games than the three teams in front of them. So they're gonna they're in a playoff spot easy right now because the East is not very challenging, but Boston is behind them, but they have three games in hand. So it looks like Washington could be the team that is the second wild card. That wouldn't be an easy first round, but I prefer it over playing Boston because I don't think Washington plays very well systematically. They still have Ovechkin. You'd fear him, no doubt about it. But, you know, I think if Washington is going to turn around, Ovechkin's going to be scoring a lot of goals. That might, you know, come hand in hand here down the stretch also with him chasing, you know, obviously Wayne Gretzky's record. So interesting to watch. Obviously it'll be a battle throughout. I think I'd say the front runner right now is Boston Matthews because Matthews can score, you know, when he starts scoring, he'll score 10 goals in four games and he's only five back of Kreider with games in hand. So I would think Matthews is the, if I was betting in Vegas right now, he would be my favorite to win the award, but We'll see. We'll see what happens because I um, obviously you got Kreider still scoring. You, uh, Drysaddle uh, when 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 they're chugging in Edmonton, he's scoring you know at, at a great clip as well. And of course, he'll be looking for an Art Ross. Him and McDavid will be battling the whole year to see who can finish tops in points. But I want to get to Colorado, and you know it's it's great to play, it's great to score, it's great to be productive. And at least a win, but it's also great to be super productive in a contract year. And you look at a guy like Nazem Kadri, who 
was was a great Maple Leaf. He made some really stupid decisions, no doubt about it, in his time there, getting suspended twice, getting suspended in the playoffs last year for Colorado. That's his history. But he's also got a history of being a great player, you know, being a guy that is a perfect second-line center, the perfect contributor, and he can really help your team balance you out and be productive. Well, Nazem Kadri is fifth in the NHL in points with 51. He's also third, tied for second in NHL with, sorry, he's got 55 points. He's tied for second in NHL with 39 assists. You know, he, last night, Colorado's playing Boston, great hockey game, back and forth affair. Boston gets a lead, 3-1 after two, and they come back. And it's really fueled by Kadri. He had three points in the game. He uh, found McCarr, who then finds Sammy Gerrard to make it 3-2. He made a beautiful cross-ice feed to Gabriel Landeskog on the tying goal. And he found McCarr on the power play to end the game. He had three assists in the third period in overtime, you know, the clutch minutes of the game. And, you know, just a great performance by him, no doubt about it. But also, you know, I think this, this is a contract year player. I don't expect Nazem Kadri to have this good a year next year, but he's also a very good player. And what's interesting for a guy like Nazem is what's it about? You know, when he got traded from Toronto, he didn't want to leave because he, you know, he was going to be traded to Calgary originally. He vetoed the trade because he had a, no, a partial no trade clause. And Colorado, he didn't have veto power, so he was going there. But, you know, does he like this location? Is he willing to take less money to stay? Because they're not going to have the cap room to keep him at a big number after this great season, which he would warrant. I think he'd warrant five, five, five to six million dollars. I think it's completely fair for Nazem Kadri because that's what you're paying. Second line players are getting five to seven million dollars now. That's just the going rate. And, you know, look at Mika Zibanejad's contract. Nazem Kadri is as good as Mika Zibanejad. I think he's better. Uh, they're both second-line center. I think he's better. John Tavares is a second-line center. He makes 11. That's, that's obviously out there. But you get what I'm saying. Is Nazem Kadri as good as Johnny Goodrow? They're different players. Johnny Goodrow is definitely more skilled-based. But Nazem Kadri's got more points than Johnny Goodrow. He's got more assists than Johnny Goodrow. And I'm sure this, this offseason, Johnny Goodrow is in a contract season. I guarantee you he's going to want – he's 30. He's going to want eight to nine and a half million dollars. I wouldn't pay him that, but I guarantee, that's what the ask is going to be. And Kadri, is he loyal to Colorado like he was Toronto? Because if I look at – if I'm him, I look at it and say, I want to win, and I'm – I'm not one of those people because I'm not a fan of a team, so I don't care. But, you know, there's no hometown discount here. That's not how it works. I, I, you, make the, you make the money in your career because that's what you want to be able to live the rest of your life comfortably. And I believe he, he makes $5 million now. I'll look up his contract here on Cap Friendly, but if I remember correctly in Toronto, he, made, he signed for five or four and a half. And that's... It's not a bad money. He's gonna, I think he deserves a raise. Obviously, his playoffs are an anomaly, and I think that will hurt him uh, in contract negotiations for sure. But, you know, he's, he's coming off. He's making $4.5 million. So do you bump that up? He's 31 years old. You're not going to sign him to a very, you know, four years max he'll probably want a five to six year that's a lot but if you signed him to say a six-year contract if you're colorado which is a lot of year i wouldn't want to do it but if you sign him for a six-year deal and you could get the number down to say excuse me five and a half less than six million dollars it might be worth your while it's going to be tough for them to do it financially because you're going to have to pay McKinnon eventually. They have Rantanen on the books. They signed Landis Gog last offseason. Um, Makar is uh, locked up. He's going to be making a lot of money here soon. 
But Nazem Kadri is not a guy you want to lose. He's an important piece. When um, McKinnon was out for the first half of the season, it was Nazem Kadri keeping these teams in games. You know, McCarr just signed a six-year, $54 million extension. You know, a big, big ticket, $9 million a year, which he's worth it for sure. But what's where's Kadri going to fit in? Is he going to have to move on? Maybe he'll price himself out because if he keeps having this season on the open market, he's going to warrant a, a big salary because he's, he's earning it. He's not just, it's not just lip service with, with him. He's playing at such a level that he, he, he deserves a big raise. He deserves to, to, you know, you know, Colorado right now only has $73,000 in cap space. As of right now, they're not going to have a whole lot to play with. Alex Newhook is two years away from being an RFA. Valerie Nikushkin's a UFA this offseason. Andre Burakovsky's a UFA this offseason. Uh, Jack Johnson, let him walk. Ryan Murray, let him walk. Their defense are locked up. Devon Taves, Sammy Gerrard. Um, you know, Sammy, I, I would trade Samuel. I've said this about, I would trade Samuel Gerrard to keep um, Nazem Kadri. Sammy Gerrard has six years left in his contract at four, at 4.1 million. Or sorry. Five million. That's a pretty good number for a player like Sammy Gerard. I won't lie, but you have Makar. You don't need him. I, you know, he's he's a very he's a nice player. Don't get me wrong, but he, he in the playoffs, I want nothing to do with him. I don't want him because he he makes mis, he's mistake prone. They're built the same. Him and Makar. I want a defense that has some different players on it. I don't think Sammy Gerard's the guy to do it. I mean, you look, he's an offensive guy. He's got 24 points and 39. That's not bad. But he had 32 and 48 last year. So he's going to have a way better season. He's already got five goals, which equals his total last year. But I'd rather keep Nazem Kadri, keep my forward group whole really strong than have a Sammy Gerard that I don't want when it comes to the postseason. So, you know, that's a deep dive into the Colorado Avalanche, but they're a really good team. They're starting to click and, you know, they don't got to worry about Kadri till this off season, but what you got to look at is I think they're elite. I think they're, if not the best team, they're the top three team, you know, in the NHL. I still think Florida is number one for me, Tampa and Colorado. That's who I see. And for them, what they need to do, Darcy Camper is playing well. That's, that's great, but they need goaltending depth. Yes, they got Frank Coos, but it seems every postseason they have a goaltender that gets hurt. You need stability. Dallas is sitting there. They're not going to make the playoffs. Anton Hudobin is not a guy you want playing every game, but Anton Hudobin has proven that he can get a team to a Stanley Cup final. He's a guy I would go trade for. Because Colorado, I think Darcy Kemper, with the team that they have, can win a Stanley Cup. But if there's an injury, you need a guy that you at least know has playoff experience. Anton Hudobin has not played well in Dallas this year, but he'd be a guy I'd look at. That I'd say, we really need a, just a guy to be there, just in case. I'd rather have Hudobin play a playoff game than Pablo Francouz. He's a name that comes to mind for me. Because Dallas is not going to they will part with a goaltender. Montreal, Jake Allen's having surgery. You can't acquire him. Teams like Ottawa that stink, Matt Murray, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want him. I'd rather have Frank Coos and Matt Murray's trade trade uh, cap hit is just enormous. I mean, he's a, it's one of the worst contracts in pro sports. Um, so there's that. You you need to look and scour the land and look for a goaltender and say who is available, who could we get. I don't see Mackenzie Blackwood getting traded from New Jersey. So that likely won't happen. 
Islanders going to miss the playoffs? Would they trade a Sorokin? Probably not. Varlamov? Potentially. You could go after that route. Columbus, Corpusalo or Merzlikens? Corpusalo is going to be an unrestricted free agent. You could get Corpusalo as a pure rental. I think it'll take a lot to get him. But I'd rather have too many goaltenders than, than not enough because we've seen them get screwed before. In the bubble, they lost to Dallas because they didn't have goaltending depth because they couldn't get a save. And if I'm Joe, I've said this, I said this about Tree Living. He kept the same core. We'll see if it works out. I don't think he'll win a playoff. Maybe he won't win another playoff round. You need to go deep for it for me to be wrong. For, for Joe Sackick, this is your primary and really your only responsibility. Get a goaltender and get some depth back there that if something crazy, something terrible happens in the playoffs, you are prepared for this situation. You are ready to step in, have somebody step in and make some saves because there's too many times in the past you weren't. That's on you. That's not on the coach. Yes, it's it's on the coach to not mix up the lines on McKinnon went dead quiet last year with Ranton and Landeskog and not switching up the lines. But the bubble loss is completely on Joe Sackick. And not having adequate goaltending is on the GM. Because you can, as a coach, you can only play who's available. And Colorado is a really fascinating team. They're one of the funnest teams to watch in the NHL. They're going to win that, that division in all likelihood. But when you get to the playoffs, you got some big heavyweights sitting there for you. St. Louis is not easy to play against. Minnesota is not easy to play against. You're likely going to have to play one of these teams eventually. Right now, we look at the West, they beat the first seed. So they wouldn't have to play Minnesota, but they would have to play Calgary. That would be an easy series. They, I think Colorado, they'd love that matchup. Don't get me wrong. I think they'd win it pretty seamlessly unless Markstrom gets really hot, but you, you have to get to the next round. Maybe you get St. Louis or Minnesota. And that is not, that's not an easy recipe to get by. So having goaltending, being prepared for these tough series is why you build the team now for the future. Um, this weekend, we got lots of, I mentioned the football, we get the farmer's insurance open that, that actually started yesterday in golf. Um, Beautiful eagle putt from John Rom to end the day. Um, you know, the, uh, it's going on right now. John Rom is currently second place uh, behind Adam Schenk, who uh, is eight under through 13 holes today. Uh, Justin Thomas is in tied for second with Rom. He's six under on the day. So these two guys are ripping up uh, the course here. Ryan Palmer, Billy Horschel uh, right there, Cameron Tringali. This is, you know, Dustin Johnson is at seven under. Uh, so great course. You, know, you see some great players. You got Daniel Berger in the field. Uh, nine Canadians, which is a record for a PGA Tour event uh, down at Torrey Pines. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that, uh, the tournament's going from uh, Wednesday to Saturday because Sunday uh, CBS has the ASU championship game. So they don't want to lose the ratings uh, with the football. So smart move by CBS. But we'll wrap today by talking about, you know, a great story down under at the, Austra at the Australian Open, and that would be the Aussies at the home, you know, the home major, world number one in the, in the women's game. Ash Barty is through to the final. She's the first man or woman, first Australian man or woman to reach the final at this event in 42 years which is a great achievement for her. She hasn't lost a set on route to this. She beat Madison Keys 6-1, 6-3 in a route. She, she looks unstoppable. She'll be playing, you know, Danielle Collins from the United States, who, uh, you know, fought her way here. It's her first major final. Again, this is what you see in the women's draw. Ash Barty, she's, she's there a lot. She's in the final. She's world number one. But you see an outlier. You see these women pop up seemingly every other major now. And... You know, if I, I don't bet, but if I did, I would throw money on Ash. I'd be shocked if Ash Barty loses. She's playing as dominant as I've seen any woman in a major since Serena Williams at her apex. She's winning every major. She's winning every match so comfortably. 
hasn't lost a set, hasn't been broken. She's only been broken four times in the entire major. She's cruising. Dan, uh, Danielle uh, Collins had, had an easy semifinal against Iga Swiatek, but I don't think this is going to be close. If Danielle Collins has got to be a super underdog right now, and I believe it because Ash Barty is just playing at such an elite level. I don't like her chances of this even being a close uh, match in the doubles draw. Great outcome for, for, for the, um, for the, for Australia there as well. You have Nick Kyrgios and uh, Thanos Kakanos who are into the doubles final and they're playing Matthew Ebden and Tommy Purcell. Both also, both men are also from Australia. So you have an all Australian doubles final which would be a lot of fun. Nick Kyrgios is, is a ton of fun. He's, he's loved and then hated by many so that, that he's a polarizing figure. And, um, you know, you have the men's semis tonight. You have Rafa Nadal. He'll be going up against Matteo Berrettini. And then you will see uh, world number two, Daniel Medvedev, take on Stefano Sissipas. Those two are not the best of friends. So that should be a fun matchup. And we'll have the finals of both of those matches this weekend. But more coming tonight. Like I said, uh, Ben Murray and I will, will break down some football um, this weekend. We'll also be podcasting, uh, talking about some NBA, uh, any other hockey news that we, we find and the other sports news as we, as we move along here. Um, we have some coaching hires in the NFL. We'll talk about that later today. So stay tuned for that. But like I said at the top, some news coming to the point in the, in the not too distant future. I'll keep you guys uh, up to date on it all. And hopefully you guys are excited as I am when, when you see what, uh, what's coming. So uh, have a great rest of your Thursday. We'll talk to you guys uh, later tonight, but as always stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk soon.